Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of A Matter of Truth. I am your host, Alex, and I am joined tonight with Anthony as always, and we have a special guest tonight for you on our show, and he will be discussing a very, very particular topic, one that uh, is quite fascinating to me and Anthony, and one I hope will uh, kind of get your mind running wild for a little bit, so... Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Anthony, and he's going to introduce our guest, and we will kick the show off from there. Anthony. All right. Thanks, Alex. So today we have one of my favorite presuppositional apologists uh, who I've been following for the last six months or so. Uh, his name is Cy Ten Bruggenkate. Cy, did I say that all right? Man, that's, that's pretty good. Most people say Bruggenkate, but it is Bruggenkate. So uh, you're the first okay. one to nail it, actually. That's pretty good. Great. So Cy runs an excellent website. Um it's called proofthatgodexists.org. Uh, it's packed with information on how to defend our faith. Uh, it talks about other worldviews. And what I love is um, one of the things it says is that how God is not on trial. You really see that unfold um, within your website. Um, he's got interviews. He's got videos on the site that deal with presuppositional apologetics. And he has a full film called How to Answer a Fool and a documentary called uh, Debating Dale Honey that we'll talk about later. But right now, um, I'm going to ask Sai to introduce himself and talk about his background and give us all the information we need to know about uh, about himself. Cool. Well, my name is indeed Sai Tenbruggenkate. Tenbruggenkate is my entire last name. Ten is a prefix in Dutch like van or de. People like to leave it off, but it is actually part of my last name. Um, I was born and raised in a Christian home. I do not know when I was saved. Um, I'm not saying that I was born a believer. But uh, I don't remember a time when I did not profess Jesus Christ as Lord. Mm. And um, I would say that my faith has had ups and downs over my life. But uh, I always had a passion for defending my faith. And um, I I grew up, I was a factory worker for most of my life. I was a a boiler operator in Canada. They call them stationary engineers. I'm uh, from Canada. And I worked in the boiler room. And I say, people who are not familiar with the boiler room, just think about where any bad thing is ever happened in any movie you've ever seen. That's the boiler room. That's where I spent over 20 years of my life. And um, it was it's a blue collar job. And uh, I still loved sharing my faith with, with my colleagues. And um, I was using these arguments. And, and uh, my Christian friends were saying, Sai, you're really getting really good at these arguments. You've, you've dumbed them down to uh, our level. I think that's one thing I've been gifted with is dumbing down intellectual arguments to, to my factory worker level. And so that's what I was doing. And I was... Um, I was sharing these with my uh, Christian friends. They said, Sai, that's fantastic. So I was starting to work on a website, and I was going to publish this evidential website where I was taking all of these arguments, you know, and make it a point-and-click website um, that was easy for the average person to um, to use and to learn. And then I would start using these arguments with my friends and, you know, my colleagues at work, and I'd get them shoved down my throat. The Christians love these arguments, but for some reason, when I was sharing them with unbelievers, they, they had zero traction, and I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. But um, I ended up uh, shelving the project for the website for about two years. But I still love listening to debates. And um, by the grace of God, I was introduced to a debate called The Great Debate with uh, between uh, Dr. Greg Bonson and Dr. Gordon Stein. 
And I listened to that and it blew my mind. So for two years, like I say, I, I, it never affected my faith, but it, it affected my desire to share my faith. And I listened to this debate and I found out that what Dr. Greg Bonson was espousing was something called presuppositional apologetics. And I dove into it. And then I found out that the reason that these arguments that I was getting shoved down my throat is because a lot of them are terrible arguments. They're not even logical arguments, but the reasons Christians love them is because the conclusion is true, because God does exist. But they were terrible arguments. So by the grace of God, I was introduced to this apologetic. And uh, 12 years ago now, I quit my job. And I've been teaching this uh, full-time ever since. Came out with a couple movies in the meantime. Um, one is How to Answer the Fool, which you can find on my Answer Anyone YouTube channel. And then we did a documentary on a debate that I did with a fellow named Matt Delahunty. And it's called Debating Delahunty. And it's also on my Answer Anyone YouTube channel. So that's basically my introduction into this apologetic. And um um, maybe you can ask some questions and we could uh, yeah. delve into a little bit deeper. That sounds perfect. Yeah. So, and I watched, um, how to answer a full and debating Delahunty and they really highlight this presuppositional approach to sharing your faith, which I've been talking to Alex about, and it's been eye opening, really eye opening with, uh, with sharing your faith. Um, yeah, so I'd love to start with just like the basics, um, because I think a lot of people are not too familiar with apologetics. So if you could break down what apologetics is, and then we'll kind of go into defining presuppositional apologetics, as well as the other one, evidence-based apologetics. And I'm sure that'll open a whole lot of doors uh, to more questions. Right. Well, apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to give a defense. So as Christians throughout scripture, we're commanded to be able to give a defense of our faith to anybody who asks. And like I say, I discovered that most of my life I was doing it wrong. When somebody said that they didn't believe that God exists, I would give them evidence. I would try and convince them with evidence yeah. that God exists. Now there's huge problems with that, which I did not realize at the time, but one of the problems is that you reduce God to a probability. And all of the arguments, we could talk about them later on, is um, the all these evidential arguments, they, um, they the conclusion is a highly probable God. Now, in church, we say nothing can separate me from the love of the Father. Like I say, there's tears streaming down our face. And the next day we go out into the world and then we say, I could be wrong. But look at this evidence and God very likely exists. If God only very likely exists, you cannot say in church, nothing can separate me from the love of the Father. So we reduce God to a probability. Another problem with giving evidential arguments is you have to be brilliant. And um, the example that I use is, let's say you study geology, rock layers, and you want to argue the age of the earth with an unbeliever. And you studied your rock layers and you wiped the floor with this guy. He's unsuspecting. He doesn't know what you're talking about. And um, so what's he, what's he going to do when he goes home? He's going to go home and he's going to Google rock layers. You want him to repent and put his trust in Jesus Christ. And he's at home Googling rock layers. I say, congratulations. And as he's Googling rock layers, he finds a PhD, an atheist that lives down the street in geology. And he hauls them out and he, he you know brings them to, to talk to you the next day. And he wipes the floor with you. Because the one problem with evidence is another problem with evidence. Like I said, you have to be brilliant, and there's always somebody smarter than you. And another problem that I, I say with evidence is, where do you hear evidence most often out in the world? I mean, you hear it in science, but I would say most often you hear the term, term evidence in the court of law. And I say, in the court of law, who do you give evidence to? You give evidence to the judge or the judge and the jury. So if an unbeliever comes up to you and says, they don't believe in God, and you give them evidence, who are you saying is the judge and the jury? You're saying that they're the judge and the jury. And in what, what seat in that courtroom do we place God? We place the Lord of glory into the criminal's box. And as my friend Tony Miano says, we play God's defense attorney in the unbeliever's blasphemous courtroom. Now, God has given us wonderful evidences. You see these debates with these evidences. They normally win the debate because we have wonderful evidences. But here's the problem. Even if you win a debate with evidences, who's the judge? The unbeliever is mm. still the judge. And I would say that the biggest problem with using evidence is that you call God a liar. Because mm. in Scripture, in Romans chapter 1 and throughout Scripture, it says everyone knows that God exists. They have sufficient knowledge of God for their condemnation. And I can't tell you how many times I read Romans chapter 1 that says everyone knows that God exists. They're without excuse for their sin against him. And then I went and I tried to prove that God exists to people. And uh, the way that um, the analogy that I've come up with, I say, imagine you're, you're standing beside your wife. And somebody comes up to you and says, hey, buddy, I believe your wife is a prostitute. And you say, well, let me give you some evidence. Uh, last night uh, she was making dinner for me, so I don't think she was walking the street last night. And the night before that she was at Bible study, so I don't think she was walking the street that night. And the night before that she was visiting her parents, so I don't think she was walking the street that I really do not believe 
that my wife is a prostitute. Would you say that? Would your wife be happy if you said that? Or would you say, hey, buddy, that's my wife you're talking about. You better be very careful with the next words out of your mouth. <laughs> now, somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I don't believe in God, or I believe Allah is God. They just called the King of Kings, the Lord of, the Lord of Glory, the Lord of Lords. They called him a liar. And I say, what is more dangerous for that person, to call your wife a prostitute or to call your God a liar? Mm -hmm. And the problem is we will defend the honor and the dignity of our wife, but we, don't, we won't do it for God. We'll say, here, let me give you some evidence that God didn't lie in his word. No, I'm not doing that. I'm saying God is the judge, and I will expose the fact that as Scripture says, you already know that he exists. And that's the difference, and I can explain you know, with an analogy the main difference between presuppositionalism and evidentialism. I say, if you're going to um, argue with an unbeliever, and you have a fossil, and you put the fossil between a Ph.D. Christian and a Ph.D. unbeliever, geologist, and they look at that fossil, and the Christian says, um, thousands of years, Noah's flood. And the unbelieving Ph.D. looks at that fossil and says, millions or billions of years. The exact same evidence, but they have vastly different conclusions. Now, they're both experts in their field. Why do they have different conclusions with the same evidence? Not because of the evidence, but because of the beliefs they take to the evidence. Mm. We examine all evidence according to what we already believe, our foundational beliefs. Our foundational beliefs are called our presuppositions. And as a Christian, I say, unless you start with God, you can't make sense of examining evidence because there are things that you need to have to examine evidence, like truth, logic, science, all of these things. And what I show them is that you can't make sense of any of them without God. Yeah. I say, when you want to examine evidence, you're actually borrowing from the God you know exists, and I call them to repentance. Yeah, and with calling them to repentance, I think with presuppositional apologetics, um, it can come off as rough. And um, I wanted to touch on a little bit of how presuppositional apologetics is misunderstood and misrepresented. My background was I came from a Roman Catholic family. Um, we then moved to this kind of Christian light, uh, fluffy type of Christianity. And and then I actually first heard about apologetics on the radio from a guy named Hank Hanegraaff. Right. And he runs uh, CRI Bible Answer Man. And when I started listening to him... Um, and he would point back to the evidence. It just a, a lot of it made sense. And um, it, it really kind of helped me understand um, some things, uh, questions I had with regards to history and how there's just an overwhelming amount of evidence. Um, and now that I'm reformed, uh, presuppositional apologetics, it just, it, it all fits together. So if you could just touch on the how it's misunderstood, misrepresented, and how you address those things. And what are some of the common questions you might get with this particular approach uh, in apologetics? Well, I think a lot of reasons that people are put off by it, by because even some presuppositionalists do not understand what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Before they were using evidences to try and convince people that God exists, and now they're using philosophy to try and convince people that God exists. Rather than starting with the assumption that God does exist and reducing to absurdity those who would argue against him. Now, here's the thing that, and it is a reformed apologetic, because if if people, you know, can be convinced that God exists through evidence, it makes sense to give them evidence. But as reformed okay. people, we know that they're dead in their trespasses and sins. And no amount of evidence can bring a dead man to life. That requires the regenerate, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. But as all Christians understand this and we believe this, and this is a question that I ask. Let's say you're about to witness to somebody, an unbeliever, and just before you get there, the guy gets hit by a bus. You didn't give him one shred of evidence. Now, this is the question that I ask Christians. Where is that person going when they die? And Christians will tell me to a man, they'll say, well, that person's going to hell. And I say, why? For, the, for his sin against the God that he knows exists. God doesn't send people to hell for sinning against the God they don't know. He sends people to hell for the sin against the God that they know exists. So if that person would go to hell for his sin against the God he knows exists, if he were to die before you give him evidence, what sense does it make to give him evidence? Because mm -hmm. the Bible says they already know. One of my favorite things to say to an atheist is when an atheist comes up to me and says, I'm an atheist, I say, no, you're not. You know, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says you're not. And another reason that it's a it's a reformed apologetic because according to scripture there's two types of people. There's sheep who will spend an eternity in heaven and goats who will spend an eternity in hell. One thing that scripture never says is that goats become sheep. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ said my sheep hear my voice. So when we talk to the unbeliever we give them sheep food 
and Jesus' sheep will hear his voice, but all of the other apologetic method, methodologies are trying to convert goats. They're trying to use all of these unbiblical methodologies to try and save people. Now, the thing is, we don't know who the sheep and goats are, so we treat everyone like a sheep. We don't treat them like goats. We treat them like sheep, and in order to give them sheep, we give them sheep food. And I say, I know why you've invited me to speak at this conference, because in John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep here sighs really good argument. No, he doesn't say that. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Or in Romans 1, 16, the power of God unto salvation is size really good argument. No, it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. So we've gone off the reservation. We've denied what the Bible says, and we've used methodology that I say are unbiblical. And it's time that Christians get back to a biblical apologetic. And you could see that it's a powerful apologetic. Because I shared with you, I'm a factory worker. I've debated PhDs in philosophy. And they've, they've been made to look like fools, not because I'm smart, but because I argue from the truth and the power of the word of God. Yeah, you reference uh, trying to convert goats uh, to sheep. And, and, and that's such a great point because you look at John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own known me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So it's, it's a great point about, uh, you know, trying to feed goats sheep food. Um, and I, I think also the whole thing with, um, you know, the evidence, no amount of evidence, and I'll borrow from you, will convince an unbeliever who loves wickedness to believe in the God of the scripture. That's only something for God to do to, is to move someone to repentance. That's the bottom line. That's for God. So that leads me to um, my next question regarding 2 Timothy 2. Uh, 24 through 25 that you reference with respect to uh, perhaps God will grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, so if you could talk a little bit about scripture and how it's misunderstood. Well, mo most people, when they engage the unbeliever, they try to give them truth so that they repent. They try to convince them that Christianity is true, that these miracles are true, that all these things are true so that they repent. And when I go to a conference, I say, let's say I came here today. I said, I'm going to give you a list of evidences so that you could give these to the unbelievers so they'll come to know the truth and repent. People would have their notepads out. They say, this is fantastic. I can't wait to get to work tomorrow to share all these evidences. And then you go to 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. And it says, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading right them to a knowledge of the truth. Yeah. Repentance comes before a knowledge of the truth. And there's people out there trying to convince them that a donkey talked or that a dead man came back to life three days later. Without God, that's absurd. They cannot believe that. And you're trying to convince them with evidence that that's true so that they repent. And the Bible says they must repent for their sin against the God they know exists. Do you have to prove miracles to them after that? If they, if they repent of their sin against the God they know exists, this is the question I ask them. I say, can God do miracles? Yeah, if he exists. I say, mm -hmm. so your problem is not with miracles. Your problem is with the God of miracles. And when you have a problem with the God of miracles, you can't have a problem with miracles. Because now you're borrowing from him to say, therefore, the Bible's not true. I say, well, where do you get truth without God? You're borrowing the standard of truth in order, in order to argue the Lord that I adore, and I'm not giving that to you. Yeah, and to that point, that's elevating man to the position of judge. And that's what right. you were saying earlier. And I never thought about it in that light. While sharing my faith, I would always wonder, am I doing it right? Uh, you know, these thoughts would go through my head and I would always go to trying to prove that God existed. And I've talked a lot um, about this with Alex, yeah. um, about the feeling of, am I sharing the gospel and is it pleasing to God? Am I doing it in a right way? And I, again, I go back to, I always felt the need to share evidence to prove something because I think the people that I listen to, these apologists that I came up listening to, um, they always go from an evidence standpoint first. So, um, and you made mention about Romans 8, 38, 39, and that's absolutely true. If we believe that, you know, why are people saying the things they're saying when sharing, you know, the gospel from an evidence standpoint? Um, so I was shocked to see so many famous apologists make comments that you highlighted in your video, things like, well, if something better comes along with more compelling evidence, I'll believe that. And these are famous people that have videos out there, conferences, you present it on your website, some of these folks, and it's actually quite shocking. So, you know, I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit about that. 
Why do people come at it that way? The problem is that according to scripture, everyone is certain that God exists. The God, the atheist, the Muslim, the Buddhist, they're all certain of the God. Even the Christian, the famous Christian apologist, who's saying that, you know, if I was convinced, if he gave me better evidence, I'd be convinced of that. They are certain of the Christian God as well. Why do they say stuff like that? Because the world has duped them into professing something that we don't even believe, into professing a probability. And that really needs to stop. Because, like I say, but when people argue like that, then you get invited to the university, then you get invited to the debates, and you get invited to these lecture series, then you can have an eight-week course on apologetics talking about probabilities and stuff like that. But you're not welcome if you talk about this certain God of Scripture. And that's what I tell people. I say, why is that apologetics so attractive and presuppositionalism isn't? Well, let's say you knock on a door at a party and you say, look, I'm, I'm a Christian. Um, I, 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 you know, if, I could be wrong, but if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you can go to heaven forever and you can have a great life you know, now and you can live for eternity with God. But I could be wrong. Or you come up to that same door and you say, um, I, I know for certain that God exists and that if you die unrepented without putting your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're going to hell for an eternity. Now, in the first instant, what's the person going to say? Oh, there's a Buddhist here. There's a Muslim here. They could be wrong, too. Welcome. You can have a wonderful, a wonderful conversation. Enjoy the party. But the second instance, you go and you say, I am absolutely certain that God exists and that Jesus Christ died for sinners like you and me. And if you don't repent, you're going to hell. And I love you enough to tell you, get out of here, you bigot. Mm. And the problem is Christians want to yeah. be invited to that party rather than talking about the God that actually exists, the God that actually saved them. Yeah. Christians are so concerned with being politically correct nowadays, and they don't want to offend anybody. Um, Alex, um, I'm taking up all of my time here. Do you want to <laughs> jump in here? Do you have anything to add? I've been um, gathering questions. I got a ton of questions for you, Sai, since um, I made contact with you on Twitter. So oh, no, that's fine. Maybe we'll do two shows. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, you know, I think it's, um, I think you're just, slaying right along there anthony and and i'm just sitting listening and kind of absorbing everything because i mean my uh kind of exposure to apologetics was really just limited to like uh ravi zacharias at the beginning and i followed him for a long time and then i started watching like jeff durbin and uh james white and that started to kind of change a lot of the things that i learned and the the approach and and i you know and Sai, you were talking about, you know, signs and wonders and, you know, having to always produce a miracle, produce this evidence. And I just go back to that conversation that Jesus had with the 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 crowds. And he goes, you know, you, 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 I forget the text, but he, you know, he says something to him and he, and he says, you guys are always looking for signs and wonders. You're always looking for something. And it doesn't matter what I show you, it's never going to be good enough. Cornelius Van Tell says the unbeliever has a bottomless pit behind them. And whatever you take, they're just going to take it and throw it over their shoulder into that bottomless pit. Yeah. 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 And that goes back to the earlier point we talked about. No amount of evidence is going to convince an unbeliever. Nothing you do or say will change an unbeliever and make them change their mind about the wickedness that they, they love. That's only something God can do. And we get so hung up that we have to convince that person yeah. We have to make that. That's for God to do um, ultimately is to um, change their heart. And we plant the seed and we do it in love and kindness um, and gentleness. Yeah. So I want to touch on something else. Um, we presuppose the Bible is the word of God and we believe it is inerrant and sufficient to learn and teach. So I'd love for you to kind of go into talking about the differences in approaches you use with an atheist versus say a Roman Catholic, Jehovah's Witness, a Mormon, or even, this is where I'm really interested, even someone who is caught up in the prosperity uh, movement or the Bethel type of churches uh, that we see that are actually taking over overseas and even here in the States. And because they come into it with their own presupposition. Yeah, well, what I do normally with the, um, the atheist, if they say they don't have enough evidence for God, the question I ask them, I say, what evidence will convince you of the God who says you already have enough evidence? I say, what evidence will convince you of the God who says you already have enough? And if they give me a piece of evidence, I say, you didn't understand my question. The God of the Bible says you have enough evidence. What evidence will convince you of that God? And they would have to concede that it's not a matter of evidence. It's a, it's a spiritual problem. Now, as far as the, the cults go and the other worldviews, I say there's actually only two worldviews. There's God and there's not God. 
And all of the non-Christian uh, worldviews are the not-God worldviews. So they cannot account for truth and knowledge as well. But um, for the uh, for the Mormon, the Muslim, one thing that I would do is um, I want to encourage people so that when, that when they see one of my encounters, you know, they're not waiting for the next video of me having an encounter. They're waiting for the Muslim or the or the I'm uh, sorry, the Mormon or the Jehovah's Witness to knock on their door because they're equipped to defend their faith. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I'll say uh, for um, Mormons and um, Jehovah's Witness, for example, because they're they're you know evangelizing all the time. Yeah. You might see them on the street or they might come to your door. And I'll say, look, um, you're very concerned for my soul because you have taken time out of your life to go and evangelize. Actually, you put a lot of Christians to shame for um, your, your dedication to evangelism. But um, you must be really concerned for my soul. So could you do me a favor? Could you uh, share the gospel with me? Could you tell me what I need to do to be saved? And then what they present is never the gospel. They mm-hmm. don't know the gospel. They don't have the gospel. Yeah. They don't have a Jesus Christ who can save. And then I go to um, 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 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 3 to 7, and I read the gospel to them. And I say, this is the biblical gospel. And then I take them to Galatians 1, verse 8. And it says, even if an angel were to come from heaven and to give something other than the true gospel, they're anathema. They're cursed. Mm-hmm. And I say, you're standing on the street corner, and you're giving a false gospel. You've come to my door, and you've given a false gospel. The Bible says you're cursed. And the Bible says you know it as well. You need to repent for spreading this false gospel. You need to repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ. And I say, that's sufficient. You can do that with any worldview. Now, for, for the for the cultural Christian, if you go to my website, you can go to the other worldview section. I do have some presuppositional questions you can ask them. But for the cultural Christian, I just say, what is your ultimate authority? What is the arbiter, the final arbiter of truth? And if they say scripture, then it's a biblical argument, then it's a biblical discussion. If they say it's not the Bible, then they're not Christians, clearly. So, um, you know, and I, I'll tell you a story. I, um, I was um, um, a friend of mine. He's from Brazil, actually. I found out about he was a missionary in Ghana. And it was amazing circumstances that I found out about this fellow. His name is uh, Cristiano. But he's back in Brazil now. He's pastoring a small church. But he was in uh, Ghana. And um, he was there handing out mosquito nets one day. And um, they weren't actually supposed to be evangelizing that day. There's a big malaria problem. They're just supposed to be handing out mosquito nets. Mm -hmm. And um, as they're going down the street, they see a a young man sacrificing a bird in the middle of the street. And Christiana goes up to this man and says, what's going on? And they said, well, a young girl in our community was bitten by a snake and she's dying. We're sacrificing this bird to our God so she will be healed. And Cristiano says, uh, well, can I go in and see your gods? And they said, no, you, you can't You can't go in there. Nobody can go in there. But in Africa, the older people have authority. He sees an older man sitting beside the doorway, and he figures it's the guy's father. I'll ask him. So he goes up to this guy, and he says, um, sir, can I go in and see your gods? And he says, sure, you can go in. So Cristiano, he goes in with uh, three Americans and an interpreter. And the very first thing he says to them, he says, this sacrifice will not help this girl. Your gods are not God. You need the true sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the Americans are trying to get his attention, saying, you can't, you can't tell them that their gods are not God. And he says, the young man who was sacrificing the bird looked at him. He was furious. He looked like he wanted to kill him. And then he prayed for them. He said, you must repent, and you know you must repent. And then he goes and he, uh, to leave the house, and he's walking to the next house. And the young man comes running after him. He says, my father wants you to pray for the girl. And the American said, are you going to do it? And he said, yeah, why not? And he said, well, what if she dies? And he said, well, that's in God's hand. So he goes mm-hmm. back and he prays for the girl. Two days later, he's in the same town. And now this young man who looked like he wanted to kill him is coming up to him with three of his friends. And he was a little bit nervous. This young man comes up to him. He says, can you tell me more about Jesus? And he shared the whole gospel with him, the true sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the man said, I heard about your Jesus years before, but I didn't come to him. He says, because I do the sacrifices in our community, and when my father dies, I must become the priest. He says, if I become a Christian, this will be very difficult for my family and for this community. And Cristiano says to the guy, that's why he wants you first. Mm-hmm. And the guy repents and puts his trust in Jesus Christ. Wow. And he said, if he was there just six months before, before he learned this apology, he would have tried to convince him that their gods are not God. But now he knows that Jesus' sheep will hear his voice. And he told me a story. He said he was watching my videos all night. And he couldn't wait to go to buy some water in the morning because they go to the store and where they buy water, there's always a group of Muslims hanging around. And the first thing he said to them is, your Quran is false and you know it. And he mm. says, some of them laughed. Some of them got very angry. One man came up to me and he says, can you tell me more about Jesus? But not with these men around. 
See, mm-hmm. and that's it's we have to trust that God's word is true. Now, if, if they flip you off, if they say you're crazy, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because Jesus' sheep will hear his voice. And I heard a story of this. Uh, it was a famous BMX cyclist, and he talked about God saving him over a 20-year period, and he was finally saved. And he said, what I didn't tell you is that 20 years ago, somebody shared the gospel with me. You heard an open-air preacher. He said it never left him. So you think that when you share something mm. like that, the guy flips you off, he walks away, that you failed, when actually you didn't miss. You're speaking biblical truths to them, and Jesus' sheep will hear his voice. Mm. And that's, that's a great point regarding our role in sharing biblical truth. Um, it's planting the seed. So, I mean, we as Christians are supposed to share the truth, the gospel, and God's the one that converts the unregenerate. Uh, we so desperately want to see the conversions happen right then and there, right before our eyes, but it doesn't always happen that way. Yeah. And um, to the point about the BMX cyclist of God saving him over a period of time, I could totally relate to that. I always knew and believed in God and my views have now moved to the true God of scripture and how he describes himself in scripture, but it was a process. Um, it was his will and it was all God on his time frame. So I do believe, you know, the idea of being saved over a period of time, you know, we don't know when God plants a seed. I mean, when the seed is planted, how it's watered. And with respect to even after there's an ongoing saving daily uh, from our sins that God is working in and through us during progressive sanctification. Right. Have you heard my deer hunting story? No, I haven't. Well, this, this, uh, you know, for, for, for you guys and maybe for your um, listeners, my drive at home, you know, how we don't miss. And um, as a friend of mine, um, Jeff, and it's a true story, but he said it's changed over the years. And I think I tell the story better than he does now. But he was invited to go deer hunting, bow hunting. And he'd never been before, but he figured he was a pretty good athlete. He was going to buy the nicest bow and all the nicest equipment. And he was going to kill a deer and his friend wasn't. That was his plan because, you know, he figured he was going to show off. So he goes and he buys the nicest bow and he buys a camouflage outfit and he buys a tree stand. And they go hunting. His friend was a little bit more experienced. So they set up about 100 yards apart. All day, nothing. And it's starting to get dark. And uh, my friend Jeff hears a crash at his friend's tree stand. He says, oh, no, he got one. He said either he got one or he fell out of the tree. He was upset. He didn't want his friend to get the deer. He wanted to get it. But he said, I better go over there and make sure he's okay. Climbs out of his tree stand and he starts walking over to his friend and his friend's eyes were wide open. He says, I got one. I got one. And Jeff goes, where? And the guy points over to the tall grass over there. He says, over there. So Jeff goes looking through the tall grass for this dead deer and he finds the guy's arrow. He said, you missed, buddy. You missed. I got your arrow right here. Guy said, I didn't miss. He said that arrow went clean through it, through its rib cage, through its heart. He says, 70 yards down that path, we're going to find that deer lying there dead. Mm. And sure enough, they go down that path and there's that deer lying there dead. Now you share the gospel with somebody at work or you, you, you know, share biblical truth. With somebody they flip you off and they, and they take off. You didn't miss. Mm. God's word is sharper than that arrow. It's sharper than a two edged sword. 70 yeah. yards down the path when he got his head on his pillow. What do you think he's thinking about? You didn't miss. And that's the thing. God you know, he will use that to save his sheep. Amen. His sheep will hear his voice. If they're a goat, do you know what scripture says? What happens to the goats when they hear the truth of the Bible? They're being fattened for the slaughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now that's not a pleasant thought. I would much rather be used, you know, to bring in the sheep, but that's not up to me. Yeah. It's up to God how he's going to use me. But we share the gospel, we share biblical truths in the hope that God brings his own unto him. Yeah. Amen. Uh, you hit it right on the head, man, that God is going to use us the way he seems fit. It's how he deems it, how he wills it. Uh, that's how he's going to use us, period, end of story. So I want to jump to a question about evidence. And I think a lot of times we feel that the goal is to um, get people to repent. And well, I, I would say the, the goal is to be faithful. Yeah. Their repentance is not up to us. Yeah. No, that's spot on. Exactly. I mean, God might be using it to harden them. So, I mean, of course, we want them to repent. We want that to be the case. I don't think it's even wrong to have that in mind. Okay. But the goal is to be faithful, to be faithful servants to our Lord, to honor Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what this apologetic does. It honors Christ as Lord. My friend Christiano in that story, he said, if that guy didn't repent and put his trust in Christ, he said it wouldn't have made a difference to him. He was thankful that he did, but he said now he knew that he was honoring Christ as Lord when he shared the gospel with him. And it, just, it changed the way he, he defended his faith. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. And in this presuppositional apologetics, 
it, it really shapes how you you share your faith and and hearing that in such an eloquent way i mean it helps me it's growing me so with respect to uh the point of we know god is the only one who can move someone to repentance is there a point where you can point to evidence what what role does evidence have in your view if any at all well i i want to encourage people first of all there's a difference between sharing your faith and defending your faith yeah if you're sharing your faith give all the evidence you want okay talk about you know the stars and the the sky you know the complexity of the eye you can give all the evidence you want if you're sharing your faith and the guy says you're nuts you believe in a talking donkey you believe in a man that was in a fish for three days. You guys are crazy. Now I'm not in sharing my faith mode anymore. Now mm. I'm in defending my faith mode. And then I'm not likely to give evidence. But people think that I'm against evidences. I'm not. If an evidentialist said to me, I use evidences to expose the suppression of truth, I say, go nuts. Mm-hmm. Use all the evidence. You see, I don't care what you call the apologetic. I care about the soul of the lost person. Right. So if you say, I use evidences, you know, I, I say, they know that God exists. And I say, you believe this. Look at this. Is, this is what the evidence actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so if you want to use evidence to expose the suppression of truth, go nuts. But if you use evidence to prove that God exists, absolutely not. To defend the Bible it. Okay. Says they know. Right. And I, the thing is, as a presuppositionist, I'm the ultimate evidentialist. I don't say that specific evidences point to God. I say that all evidences point to God. True. You can't even make sense of the concept of evidence unless you start with God. So I'm the ultimate evidentialist, but I don't conclude God. I start with him. Hmm. And if you start with God, it doesn't matter what, what argument you use, what you call it, as long as you're faithful and you don't lie about God, because my concern is reaching the lost. Amen. So I'm going to jump in and throw, maybe take the questions in a little different direction from you, Anthony. Um, one of the things that I've noticed a lot uh, in the, the like the modern, like um, this postmodernistic world is a, this uh, subjective reality, subjective morality. Um, my truth is, you know, my truth. And it doesn't matter about, you know, God or it doesn't matter about anything above that because what I see, what I touch, what I hear, what I know, that's what's real and that's what's true. Um, I'm curious how you approach or have you engaged in conversations in that realm yet? Yeah, of course. I mean, um, my, my website, the very first question is, does absolute truth exist? Mm-hmm. Absolute truth exists. Absolute truth does not exist. I don't know if absolute truth exists, and I don't care if absolute truth exists, and you have to pick one of those. Yeah, I saw that. If you, <laughs> you pick on um, absolute truth does not exist, it takes you to the page that says absolute truth does not exist, absolutely true or false. <laughs> so it's it's an absurdity. <laughs> right. and so they go they go back to the first page. You know, I, They thought it was a glitch, actually, so I had to make a page that said, this is not a glitch. I saw that. And then, then they click on, well, I don't know if absolute truth exists. And it takes them to a page that says, I don't know if absolute truth exists, absolutely true or false. And no matter which one they pick, it takes them to the front page again. And then they click on, well, I guess I don't care if absolute truth exists, and then it takes them to Disney. I saw that too. <laughs> and then, you know, people get upset when they think there's a, something wrong with the website. I say, no, that's actually a biblical principle. If Disney was around at the time of the Apostle Paul, he might have said, if Christ is not raised, if what we believe is not true, you might as well go to Disney for tomorrow we die. Mm. Yeah. So, um, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess in, in just in the, in the light of subjective morality. Oh, yeah. So, so we can easily answer those things. Mm-hmm. It's folly. Mm-hmm. And mm. what I found, and you'll see as well in my videos over the years, is that I would engage them philosophically. And most people on the street have no idea what you're talking about. You talk about the precondition of intelligibility. It's actually women that help me understand this. Because I'm talking about God is necessary for truth, you know, and for logic. Logic is universal, abstract, and invariant. And um, God is universal. He's not made of matter. He can't change. And the guys are taking down all these notes. Oh, this is fantastic. And the women were, you know, they're sleeping. And, you know, I, I said, what's going on? And they said, well, I had to learn all these evidences before. Now I have to learn the preconditions of intelligibility. Now I have to learn all this philosophy. And they helped me to see that even presuppositions are doing it wrong. And I think that's why a lot of times, you know, they get a bad rap. Now, we can win these arguments philosophically, just like we can use win evidential arguments with evidences. We can do that. But we're missing the fact that they know that God exists. So you could deal with it very quickly if you are so equipped. But... I would say, look, you're not fooling God. You know, this is not your problem. Your problem, you know, this this nonsense of subjectivism, that's not your problem. The problem is if you die tonight, you're going to face the God that created you. And you're going to have to give an account for your life. Do you want to know how to be made right with him before you die? Mm. 
And they say, no, get out, get out of my face. You're freak. You're crazy. I, I, you know, I say, I'm sorry you feel that way. You know, let me pray for you. Mm. And that's why women, I say, are much better at this than men because men have the testosterone they need to win the argument. Mm-hmm. Now, can we philosophically win that argument? Sure. And sometimes it's nice to have that, you know, that nice quick rejoinder in your back pocket, but it's not necessary. Because this is one thing that I say, if let's say somebody, some subjectivist comes up to you and starts arguing his subjectivism. And I say, you can have anybody in history other than Jesus Christ standing beside you to argue with that person. You have a time machine. You could bring anybody to stand beside you and to talk to that person. Who would you want? Would you want me, Jeff Durbin, Dr. White? How about the Apostle Peter? I think if you choose any of us over the Apostle Peter, I can't help you. Mm, Now, if you start arguing subjectivism, the precondition of intelligibility, universal truths, the Apostle Peter would say, what are you talking about, man? I walked with Jesus. Do you want to know how to be made right with him? No, I believe in this stuff. I'm I'm sorry you feel that way, sir. I'm going to pray for you. Have a nice day. Now, can you win that argument? You can absolutely win that argument, but it's not about winning arguments. Mm. It's not about winning evidential arguments. It's not about winning philosophical arguments. Can you do it? Sure. And like I say, it's nice to have those things in the back pocket, but you don't need it. I I remember a time I was actually uh, witnessing outside of uh, Princeton University, and two of my friends were talking to this um, this guy who was taking his master's in um, in philosophy, and he denied logic. And they were talking to this guy for like half an hour, and, and they flagged me over, and they said, Sai, this guy denies logic. And I said to him, uh, so you deny logic? He says, yes, I do. I said, then you don't. And a big smile came across his face, and he stuck out his hand, he shook my hand, he said, I like you. Because <laughs> he couldn't say that I was contradicting him because, you know, he denied logic. So is it nice to have that in your back pocket? Sure. But the woman will say, it's folly to deny logic. You must repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ. My friend Christiana that I was talking to you about, he went to school for four years to study biology, to learn apologetics. And he saw his grandfather, who never spent a day in school in his life, he learned how to read, reading the Bible. And somebody would come up to him and say, I don't believe your Bible. He says, you must believe the Bible. It's folly not to believe the Bible. And he's in university thinking how ignorant his grandfather was in sharing his faith. And now he realizes that his grandfather was doing it right the whole time. He said he went to university for four years to learn how to not think like a Christian. Mm. And that's the problem. That's happening with, um, with presuppositionalists too. And I think a lot of times you have to slog through the years of arguing philosophy with people to see that's not it either. Yeah. It's not about arguing evidences or about philosophy. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that God uses to save people. Can you answer those questions? Yes. But here's the thing. If somebody you know, comes up with this, this strange philosophy, you know, that's a great question. Let me study that. You know, if you want to meet next week, I'll give you how, you know, I'll tell you how we as Christians answer it. Great question. But if you die tonight and you stand before God, what would you say to him? You know, and then you'll see that it's not about the philosophical question. You cut through that smoke screen. Yeah. And I think that's what Christians need to get back to doing. And see, what I tell people is I don't tell people how to defend their faith. I tell them how not to. Hmm. One of the worst things that I hear is when somebody's on Facebook or on Twitter and they say, you know, I was talking to my unbelieving sister-in-law yesterday. I really wish I was there. And I say, yeah, I wish I was there to listen to you talk about the God that saved you. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's the point because you don't need me to defend your faith. Jesus Christ said, I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Luke 21, 15, not sigh. Jesus will give you those words. And that's what we need to get back to. That's what it is to defend our faith. I think um, a lot of it too, for today's Christianity, you know, with all this, the the secularism and, the, and all of this, you know, selfism and all that jargon and that that gets pushed down people's throats it's like um i i feel like knowledge in of itself of scripture has become weak and in the christian community as a whole and it, and i think it allows kind of this rise of um philosophers or atheists to argue with us and and, and essentially you know kind of beat down on us because we are weak in the simple proclamation of the gospel we don't stand on what scripture says and just go directly to it. Like you said, cut that smoke screen out, get rid of their, their baseless argument and go right for the throat. And I I mean, that's, I guess that's where I'm coming from is I see a lot of just, you know, weaker Christians in their faith. And that's one of the reasons why a couple of years ago I started going to seminary is because I, 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 there's such a need for, for knowledge out there. And I mean, even, and it doesn't matter whether you're in the big cities or in the small country towns, you know, people need to know the faith and they need to know how to defend it. And, and I think uh, 
you know, having a presuppositional position and just saying, look, this is what the scripture says. And whatever your position is, that's fine. But if you die tonight, what's going to happen to you? And I like that. It's just straight to it. People who follow my ministry or who have not yet, if they go to my website, they can see the debates I've done. They can see the street witnessing I've done and things like that. At the end of the day, after debate, after a street encounter, after any you know type of evangelism experience, my primary thought at the end of the day is I need to read my Bible more. It's mm-hmm. not I need to study philosophy more. It's not I need to study evidences more. I need to read my Bible more. The best open-air um, exchange that I ever saw was with a heretic. But the guy quoted scripture, and it was powerful. The problem is that he twisted it. Mm. He twisted the scripture. So if somebody like you going to seminary comes out of seminary with a biblical knowledge and goes out and, and shares the faith with people, you know, it would be devastating. I had a pastor come up to me and, um, you know, he said he's a little bit nervous. He goes on the street as well. He's waiting for the uh, unbeliever who's more intelligent than him, waiting for the next shoe to drop, he said. And I said, I could teach you how to do this better than I can in five minutes because you know your Bible better. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. If you lean on the, the truth of God's word, you can defend your faith. And if the person turns around and walks away, you can realize that you didn't miss. God is going to use that if that person is their sheep. And, you know, God used even our mistakes. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about it is because I spent all my life doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I would say that, you know, I was I was not doing it on purpose, but I was misrepresenting the God that I adore. There's a, a quote from C.S. Lewis, um, and it's in a book, Timeless at Heart. It's not in print anymore. But um, as an evidentialist, I read this quote and I could identify with it. He said that, the weakest in his faith that he felt, C.S. Lewis, was right after he finished successfully defending it. Mm. He used one of these scintillating arguments, and that's when he felt the weakest in his faith. And I felt exactly the same way. I didn't know why. And I realized because I was not defending my faith in the God that I believe in. I was defending my faith in a probability, in the in the God that the world wanted me to believe in. But I can tell you right now, as a presuppositionist, I have never felt that way. Every time after I share my faith with someone and I quote scripture or biblical truth with them, I'm emboldened because I, now I know that I was honoring Jesus Christ as Lord. And I could identify with those C.S. Lewis. I was talking with a fellow just very recently. He'd be teaching um, on biblical truth, why we believe the Bible. And he felt hollow afterwards mm-hmm. because he was giving people reasons that were all factual, all true, but not why we believe the Bible. And I think we need to get back to t- telling people what we actually believe because unbelievers can sense when you're when you're giving them a smoke screen they can mm-hmm. sense it but if you talk genuinely about your faith and about the god you, that saved you i believe that he will use that to save people yeah something you said in your documentary of uh, debating dillahunty really resonated with me uh you mentioned you don't need to be a genius to defend your faith um and i think a lot of people feel like they need seminary and and I struggle thinking I'm not smart enough and I don't know enough church history. I don't know enough about the evidence or the confessionals, the creeds, all of that. And there's like this Catholic light guilt. I'm just, I feel bad. I'm, I feel unqualified, those types of things. And really when you, when you look at the apostles and you said this, they were fishermen, mere fishermen, most of them. And what you really and truly need is Everything you need is in Scripture, and you're right. you're relying on the Holy Spirit. You're relying on God, and Amen. again, it's you make such great points that truly resonate with the everyday layman um, with respect to understanding your faith and what you need to know to share the gospel effectively. One thing, I'll, I'll go to a conference, and I'm asked to speak at a number of conferences, and I'll go up and I'll say, um, you know, I'm going to change things up a little bit. I, I didn't tell you the, the organizer this. I didn't tell your pastor this, but I'm not going to teach you how to defend your faith in God today. Today I'm going to teach you how to defend your faith that your parents exist. Mm-hmm. And they look at me like, uh, why do we get this freak from Canada down here to teach us <laughs> how to defend our faith that our parents exist? And I say, that would be very strange, wouldn't it? If I came here to teach you how to defend your faith that your parents exist, why would that be strange? Because you know your parents. You know them better than I do. Mm. I said, what am I doing here teaching you how to defend your faith that God exists? If you know him, you can do it. Those are such great, simple truths. So spot on. And, you know, I think it happens so much with men, especially um, when they smell a debate, it's like shark smell of blood and water. Um, they just go full in guns a blazing into a debate to to prove something. Uh, it's it, it's something you see. Wouldn't you agree, Alex? Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> 
Well, the, the, the thing about this apologetic is it's powerful. You know, I was at a, a conference once and um, um, I was using it for the first time on the streets and people were slapping me on the back and they say, you saw you crushed this guy, you, you know, and I'm saying, no, I didn't. God did. And at the end of the conference, they, they put up two microphones and there was this sickening buzz going on about this, this guy from Canada with his new apologetic. And, and you know, they're, they're talking about me and because they'd seen they'd never seen anything like this before. And they allowed people to give testimonies at the end of the uh, at the end of the conference. So they put these microphones up there. And before they open the floor to the mics, you know, I'm in the back and I'm, I'm praying, Lord, please don't let anybody mention my name. Please don't let anybody mention my name. Lord, please don't let anybody mention my name. And I finished praying. And you know, the first thought in my head was, I hope somebody mentions my name. <laughs> and, then, and I ran to the microphones when they opened the mics. I was the first one up there. And I said, you know what the beauty of this apologetic is? You're going to win arguments. Mm. You know what the danger of this apologetic is? You're going to win arguments. And you're going to think it's you. Rather than honoring Jesus Christ as Lord, that's what we need to do. It's not about winning arguments. Now I recognize that the argument's already won. It's about speaking biblical truth to them. It's about making Christ sweet to them. It's about loving them. It's about talking about the only way out of the hell that each and every one of us deserves. And if they see that in your eyes, I think it's a different thing than when you're arguing the complexity of the eye or arguing, you know, the, the preconditions of intelligibility. Yeah. So something popped into my mind, um, and you mentioned in your debates, in your videos, and I touched on this earlier, don't give up biblical authority, the authority of God's word and elevating man to the position of judge. So can you talk to that point in relation to the biblical accounts where it seems that men are to judge for themselves the signs and miracles that Jesus performs, which is basically you're, you're looking at the evidence um, uh, before you in, in that period of time. Well, first of all, um, I think there are evidences in the Bible, but they weren't talking to atheists. And the evidence was miracles. And I say, first of all, it was not an apologetic. It's just what Jesus and the apostle did. They perform miracles. Mm -hmm. And this is what I tell people. I say, if you believe that that's an apologetic for the existence of God doing miracles, I say, if you can do miracles, go for it. Hmm. Go for it. Go ahead. You know, that's the evidence yeah. that was presented in Scripture was miracles. And it showed the deity of Christ. It, you know, showed the authority right. of the apostles. I get that. I say, if you can do that, go for it. I'm not going to stop you if you can do miracles. And of course they can't. But they're talking about the complexity of the eye. They're not talking about the, the evidence that was given in Scripture. Nobody argued for the existence of God with, you know, philosophy or with evidences. They perform miracles. Mm -hmm. And I say, if you think that that was an evidential argument, go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. Yeah, and I think you're right. There's definitely a, a different approach to when you're, when you're dealing with atheists. So um, how do you find the balance of presuppositional apologetics, uh, biblically defending your faith, and this, this thing that we hear all the time, sharing the truth and gentleness and love. And, you know, that is something that a lot of people hold to almost more than presenting truth, the truth of biblical authority. Um, and, you know, we see this idea nowadays that's so prevalent in churches of this common ground neutrality. And it leads me to think about Jeff Durbin saying um, in one of his videos, you never see Paul saying, give Jesus a try try on Jesus, um, paraphrasing. But, uh, you know, to that point, you see that is very prevalent. Uh, I've heard Rick Warren actually say something like that on, I don't know if it was CNN or Oprah, you know, yeah. just give Jesus 60 days, 60 days. And that's just not in line with what scripture says. And to quote you, I watched a video conference um, today that you had done w way back and you said, just don't be a jerk. And in debating Dillahunty, you hear the guy saying, um, this is why it's so frustrating, you know, debating you. But but you're so spot on what you're coming back to time and time again, because you have to take these different approaches with, you know, if you're dealing with an atheist or somebody who's in the faith, you're going to obviously take a different approach. So can you just kind of talk a little bit to that? As far as trying Jesus, when people say that to me, and, I, and actually in my, in my lectures, I show clips of and, you know, bumper stickers and people saying, try Jesus. I say, mm. who in scripture tried Jesus? <laughs> Pontius Pilate. Mm. And if he didn't repent, he's in hell. Mm -hmm. And people are telling us to try Jesus. They say I'm equivocating. I say, no, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Mm. Or tell people to try Jesus. But as far as engaging people, I say, one thing that helps me in, in not freaking out when you're talking to unbelievers is recognizing that there but by the grace of God go you and I. Except for the grace of God, that's us. I used to say to them, if yeah. I wasn't a believer, I'd be arguing just like you, except a little bit better. 
but I don't say that anymore because that's a bit of a shot, but you know, I'm used to that <laughs> with my factory worker friends. But one, uh, actually it was a, in a sermon from Doug Wilson that was really impactful to me. He said, if you're talking with an unbeliever, at any point somebody enters that conversation and it doesn't look like you want that person to be saved, you're probably doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a place for rebuke. Don't get me wrong. And the, the problem, you know, with how to answer the fool as well, the clips that make it into the film are when things are really tense, not the other hour when I'm sharing the gospel with them, the guy ends up giving me a hug, you know, so, so they miss all of that stuff. And, but I think what we need to do is to love them, to make Christ sweet to them, to recognize that that's us. And, you know, it'll change the way you defend your faith if you just go with that attitude rather than trying to win the argument, recognizing the argument's won. And, you know, one thing that uh, I tell people is the person I want to talk to is the kid who's slouching in church, you know, can't wait to get out of that nut house because he's talking about talking donkeys and, you know, floating axe heads. He just can't wait to get out of there. And I was talking to a friend of mine. He says, I got a nephew like that. He's sitting around on his couch all day slouching, grew up in a Christian home. He says he's an atheist now. He said his parents are afraid to talk to him because they think they're going to push him further away from Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is what you do. Next time you go over there, you sit down beside him, you put your arm around him, you say, look, you might be fooling your mother, you might be fooling your father, but you're not fooling me and you're not fooling God. I know that you know that he exists. And if you want to know how to be made right with him before you die, you come and talk to me. But I'll be praying for you because I love you. Do you want to go shoot some pool? <laughs> now he's afraid of you. And yeah. I think a lot of people need to go to their loved ones and apologize to them for misrepresenting the Lord that we adore. Mm. And that's what this apologetic does. Now you could talk about the God that actually saved you and, you know, not be apologetic about it, you know, to use a twist the words there. Yeah. I love what you said, uh, how going into the argument, uh, don't go in trying to win it. Just realize it's it's already been won. I think that's that's profound and such a simple truth. It was, it's awesome. Um, Alex, is there anything else you want to uh, touch on or add? No, I think, you know, I think I think this was brilliant because, you know, Sai, you really hit on something that's just near and dear to me. And, and uh, two things. Uh, one is is the need for not just people who go and street preach or not just people who are in seminary or pastors or theologians or whatever title you want to assign something but for all lay people that biblical knowledge is a must. And, you know, so I'm taking on a new church and I'm, I go there Sunday to preach. And my wife and I were talking this evening and she's like, you know, this, the sermon series that I'm building out for Christmas, she's like, this is a perfect time that you can go there and advocate for Bible studies, you know, either post or after or whenever. But she's like, you can put that into this sermon and, 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 stress to these people that this is something that you want to do with them is to teach them all the little ins and outs and everything that you can. And, and so I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. So I'm like taking notes on my phone as I'm going through all this stuff. Cause I'm like, you know, I, that's something that, you know, even for a small, you know, farming community, this is, it's crucial. You know, whether you get into, you know, a, a conversation with family members or work coworkers or whatever it may be. It's, you know, straight biblical knowledge. And, Amen. and I, you know, the second piece is just, you know, coming into it. It's not so much, you know, you, you don't want to come in and steamroll people with knowledge. You don't want to come in and, and beat them down and make them feel like they're an idiot or a fool, but you just simply kind of drop the, drop the hammer in a, in a manner to the fact that it's, this is what God's word says. And, you know, this is the truth that you can't escape it. Yeah, I was just going to say, I know we're wrapping up. We're coming in, uh, you know, to an hour now. But let me just put some legs on there. So I'll share a couple of quick stories from my friend, Cristiano, who's now back in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Like I say, he's pat- pastoring a small church. But when he first got back to Brazil, he was working. Um, he was he got a job at a call center, you know, in between um, being a missionary and pastoring the church. And he was now arguing biblically presuppositionally and people from all over that call center were coming up to him. Are you Cristiano? Because he was talking like nobody they'd ever heard before. And he said, one day this, this young woman came up to him and he said, what's your, she said, what's your shirt made out of? And he had no idea where she was going. Now I knew exactly where she was going with it because I've heard this argument a thousand times. She was going about mixed fabrics, you know? So he didn't know what she was Mm -hmm. talking about. So he looked at the tag. It was 50% polyester, 50% cotton. Mm -hmm. She says, you can't get to heaven. 
He said <laughs> if he was there a year before, six months before, he would have argued the judicial laws, the ceremonial laws, the cultural laws, the moral laws, which ones still apply, yada, yada. But now he recognized that this woman was suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Her issue was not mixed fabrics. So he looked at her and he said, you know what? You're right. I can't get to heaven. Either can you. Why do you think Jesus came? Mm. And they had a wonderful biblical gospel-centered conversation because it cut through the smokescreen. And in the film, you'll see that I talk about a, a two-step approach to defending your faith. No matter what they say that contradicts Scripture, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. And what are they going to say? Well, I don't believe your Bible. They say, oh, you don't believe it's true? No. Step two is where do you get truth without God? Very philosophical, still makes sense, fine. So Christiana learned this two-step approach. And he's back at work and he can't wait to use it. He says before he was afraid when people would disagree with him. Now he can't wait to use this two-step approach. And he says he's standing beside this young, immature Christian and, and another woman comes up to them. And this young, immature Christian says to, the, says to the woman, the most important thing in the world is to have peace with yourself. And Christian turns to him and says, that's not what the Bible says. And he was hoping that they would say, well, um, you know, we don't believe your Bible. So he can go to the next step and say, well, you don't believe it's true. But he says something really weird happened. They said, well, what does the Bible say? And he said, the most important thing in the world mm. is to have peace with God. And we can't. That's why Jesus came. Mm. And he was hoping that they would say, well, we don't believe that's true. So we can go to the next step and say, where do you get truth without God? Mm. He said, but something really weird happened. They said, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. <laughs> you know, so he was ready to argue all this philosophy. Wow. He didn't need it. He just needed the truth of the gospel, yeah. and that is what God will use to save people. Just cuts right to it. It really does. And you know, um, the idea that there is no absolute truth, uh, you know, and I tell my kids this, it's completely absurd. Completely. Is that and an absolute kids, truth? Kids get it. Kids <laughs> yeah. get it. Uh, my friend's six-year-old daughter was watching the film, and she get it. She got it. I mean, especially the end part when I'm... Um, talking about dr jones his six-year-old daughter said uh his six-year-old daughter said he's not answering his question <laughs> people kids yeah. get it it's that yeah. through our whole life you know getting these apologetic training you know these all these courses you know all this stuff on youtube it, it gets drilled into us you know talking about a god that we don't believe in and i say if you teach uh, kids the biblical apologetic you know, I think that'll be a very powerful tool for them uh, for the rest of their lives. And I yeah. tell people, I'm just as excited today as I was 14 years ago when I first heard about it. Yeah, and you can still hear that in your voice today. Mm -hmm. And I think what's so great about um, presuppositional apologetics, um, and, and it really hit me hard, was how straightforward it is. It, because you're going to the authority, to the Bible. Um, it's really that simple. I mean, look at how the apostles... Uh, spread the gospel. It was very, uh, it was about truth in, in what they saw and what they knew. And um, we get so wrapped up in other things that I believe that it's Satan. He's just taking our eyes off of the gospel and how we should spread it. And we're getting wrapped up in all these other things, uh, the signs, the wonders, you know, uh, in order to believe these types of things. And, and clearly in scripture, uh, Jesus even said it, even the signs and wonders aren't, will not make you believe. So um, I, I think it's just so straightforward. And that's what I love about presuppositional apologetics. And, and it's really opened my eyes in, 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 in understanding and um, learning how to share uh, the gospel uh, using presuppositional apologetics. Well, once you understand this apologetic, you read the Bible differently. Mm -hmm. All these verses that never made sense before are now just screaming out at you. You're like the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore. Go what for? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Go therefore. And we try to argue for the authority of Jesus Christ by giving it up. You know, and um, even in First uh, Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give a defense of your faith. It starts with, set apart Christ as Lord. Always mm. be prepared to give a defense of your faith. But we start that verse at always be prepared. Instead of starting with set apart Christ as Lord. You're we absolutely to right. For the Lordship of Jesus Christ rather than starting with it. Yeah. I mean, when you reference Second Timothy 2, 24, 25, and yeah, you, you broke that down. I was like, wow, I completely missed that. You know, and um, and I think that's that's it. People people need to get into the word and and Quit pulling things out of context and read it, uh, you know, in context, how it's how it's supposed to be read for sure. 
Amen. Yep. I agree. Well, Anthony, do you got any more questions for Cy? Well, I have a ton more, but <laughs> maybe Cy, I, if I could take you up on that offer to do a part two, would you would you be willing to do that? That would be I, w- awesome. I would love to, but uh, I'm glad that you guys got to cram this in because tomorrow I'm heading to Oklahoma, and then I'm heading up north. You know, probably for a few weeks. So I'm glad that we got this in, but uh, maybe yeah. in the new year we can uh, sit down and. Uh, hash out some of these questions if you get some questions from some of your listeners as well and um, that's exactly you know, what I, yeah, I, I even yeah. offer people that disagree with this apologetic to debate but um, they usually don't want to debate this I, you know because it, it's an argument that you can't win really the, the atheist can't win the argument I think the Christian can't either because we're we're leaning on the truth of God's word and if you study this apologetic you know read Greg Bonson and Van Til it's filled with scripture you study the other apologetic methodologies there's no scripture at all in it and we have to argue from our ultimate authority, the truth of God's word. Amen. So, Sai, can you go ahead and share with the listeners um, some some information on, on how they can contact you, how they can support your ministry, and information about your website? And then we'll go ahead and uh, close out. Sure. My, my website is proof that God exists with an S.org. Um, if you go to YouTube, my um, my channel, Answer Anyone, that's where you can find the film and the documentary. But I also have a Proof That God Exists channel, and that's where my open air stuff is and my debates and stuff like that. And for those of you who want to support the ministry, you can find me at uh, patreon.com slash sci10b, T-E-N-B. And um, yeah, and my uh, email, uh, contact at proofthatgodexists.org, you can get a hold of me that way. Or just, you know, fill out the form on the website, you can get a hold of me that way as well. Great. And I just want to close with this. I had contacted Cy via Twitter. Um, I actually had seen a clip on Instagram and I went and looked him up. And then I realized I'd seen him uh, with Jeff Durbin and Dr. James White debating some atheists um, on YouTube. So it, it again, it all led me to reach out to Cy on, on Twitter and I shot him a message and he contacted me back and he was gracious enough to to give us his times over an hour and a half. And I want to say how blessed Alex and I are to have yeah. you on here. It was it was such a blessing. Yeah, um, and I think it's going to be a blessing to to anybody who listens to this. And I just want to thank you from from my heart and uh, for giving us your time. Well, brothers, yeah. one thing I want to encourage you, I'm you. I'm, I'm a boiler operator. I'm a dude with a website and anybody can do this. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I you know, I, I am you guys. I mean, just, I'm thankful that you give me the opportunity to actually just share this because that's my heart's desire is to share an apologetic that actually talks about the God that we really believe in. Amen. Amen. That. Yeah. And it, again, I echo Anthony's, uh, you know, words that we are just grateful to have you on and that you took time to come and hang out and talk with us and answer questions. And I look forward to part two and, uh, you know, digging into this a lot deeper because, you know, this is something that I'm just starting to kind of dabble in myself. And, you know, as I grow my biblical knowledge, it's just how can I, you know, just continuously come back and use it as it's, and is what itself is supposed to be as defense. So One thing I tell people, I said, not all Christians will get it. Yeah. but only Christians will. Yeah, And it's not just a cool way to argue, it's life-changing because we take God as Lord of our theology to Lord of everything, Lord of our apologetic, Lord of everything. Because right now, man is Lord of our apologetic. But now, when you understand presuppositionalism, God is Lord of all. Yeah, man. Well, Cy, we won't take up any more of your time. Uh, we will close out the show, and uh, we thank you um, for tuning in and hanging out with us and uh, listening to this uh, hopefully part one will get you on after the new year uh, for part two sounds good brothers all right, thank you so much uh, all right Bye-bye. god bless